0: Welcome to Day by Day, the verse by verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. The devil, Satan, the adversary, at one time so beautiful, but now aptly seen as the dragon here in Revelation chapter 12. Today, Pastor Phil continues a brief look at Satan's beginnings, his fall, and his influence as we continue to make our way through God's revelation of the last days. Thank you for joining us. Now, here's Pastor Phil with our study. Let's listen.
1: Well, you remember what the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. God says, I cast you to the ground, Ezekiel 28. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The question is, when did Lucifer and his angels fall? Well, some believe, and I am one, that it happened sometime after Genesis 1 verse 1 and before Genesis 1 verse 2. Genesis 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 said says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now here's something interesting, and not everybody agrees with this, but I really think it has some merit to it. When we read here, the earth was without form and void, the Hebrew is tohu vabohu, all right? Tohu vabohu. And from what I remember in my study of this, that phrase is used, if not always, then the vast majority of the time to speak. It speaks of judgment. Tohu vaavohu. It's a Hebrew term that that usually, if not always, in the Old Testament refers to judgment. And in fact, many have translated Genesis one verse two from the Hebrew, where we read it in our Bibles, in the earth was without form and void, it could be translated, the earth became a desolate wasteland. The earth became a desolate wasteland. Remember what we just read in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 17, of Satan. Now what did God say? He said of Satan, who made the world a wilderness. Who made the world a wilderness. Turn to Isaiah 45 once. I'm going to show you something. In Isaiah 45, verse 18, this is one of those verses why I think that this theory has some merit to it. In Isaiah 45, verse 18, it says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, listen, who did not create it in vain, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, he said, and there is no other. Here we read, that God did not create the world tohu vavohu. He did not create a desert, a, a desolate wasteland. He did not make it in vain, without form and void. He created it to be inhabited. Now, Isaiah tells us he didn't make it that way. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, the world became a desolate wasteland without form and void. So what happened? If God didn't make it that way originally... What caused it to become without form and void or a desolate wasteland? Well, many believe it's what we've just read in Ezekiel 38, excuse me, 28, and Isaiah 14. It was the fall of Lucifer, where he organized a rebellion in, against God in heaven, and God cast these angels to the earth. Not that Satan still doesn't have access to heaven. He does. We'll see that more clearly next week. It's just that heaven is no longer his proper place. His proper domain now is on the earth. He's the God of this world. He was in charge of all the angels of heaven. That was his original place that God had blessed him with. He, through his rebellion, God cast him down. And many believe that the earth could have actually been the original domain of Lucifer, That for some reason, this was his world. This is speculation. I'm not trying to tell you that, you know, the Bible clearly teaches this. But there are people who believe that the earth was at one time the domain of of Lucifer. This was, in a sense, his planet. And when he rebelled against God, God cast him down to the earth in the sense where now he was limited to the earth in a sense where he was no longer the worship leader of heaven and so on. And uh, this planet became the focal point in a cosmic battle between the devil and God. And by no, no means am I saying they're evenly matched, all right? It's, it's God saying to the devil, look, you want to be the Most High? You want to be God? All right. He casts him down to the earth. God destroys the creation he's originally created. He makes the earth a desolate wasteland. And he says to the devil, okay, have at it. Let's see if you can recreate it now. You want to be God? Go ahead. And the earth could have remained in that state for a long time until Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 where the Spirit hovered over the waters and God said, let there be light and God recreated the earth at that point. Now be careful because sometimes people want to plug into this period of time dinosaurs and everything else like that. You can't do that because nothing died before Adam's sin. So be careful you don't start plugging cavemen and dinosaurs and that i'm not trying to sell that at all dinosaurs yes are real they were real cavemen are not real if you go to with us to the creation museum this this spring you'll see very clearly that you know people have been sold a bill of goods cavemen are a fabrication okay by the evolutionists to prove their point uh there were many of these so-called cavemen that were unearthed and all you you realize Many of them were deceptions, trying to by the people who discover them trying to get recognition or no doubt uh, grants for their work and so on. But I digress. But it could be that this cosmic war now between the devil and God, God is allowing the devil to go ahead and pro- and, and, and you know you want to be like the most high Lucifer. Go ahead, take your best shot. And you know we're going to see it all coming to a head in Revelation where the world, more and more deceived by the dragon, the false prophet, and the Antichrist are actually, you know, going to be coming together to have a world system that is totally devoid of God and how God's going to judge it eventually and Jesus will come back to establish a true kingdom of righteousness. Well, okay. Again, verse 4. So... This dragon, the devil, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now there's at least 4,000 years between the first and second sentences of verse 4. Between the time that the devil and his angels fell and Jesus Christ was born, of course, that's a gap of about 4,000 years. This child, of course, is the Messiah, is Jesus Christ. We know that from, for sure from verse 5 where it says she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. We compare that to Psalm 2, which took place in the past, you know, and it's the same language that the Father has given the Son the nations of this world and he will rule them with a rod of iron. We look into the future. Revelation chapter 19, verse 15 tells us that when Jesus comes back to the planet Earth with all of us, he's going to have a sharp sword that proceeds out of his mouth that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So it's pretty obvious this child is a reference to Jesus Christ. And again, it says in verse 4, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. What does that sound like? Well, I think that a lot of people interpret that to be Herod the Great. Remember how he tried to, to you know, the wise men came to him and said, look, uh, we have seen the star in the sky of the one who has been born king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was troubled because he was very paranoid uh, and wound up killing several of his own sons because he thought they might be plotting against him to overthrow him. I mean, he was just a paranoid little guy. And so when the wise men came and said, we have seen the star of him who has been born king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. Herod was very upset about this. And he said to the wise men, well, you go and uh, you find the child. And when you find him, you come and tell me because I want to go and worship him also. But Herod wanted to kill the child, of course. And when the wise men found the baby Jesus, who was at this time about two years old, uh, they laid gifts before him. And then the Lord said to them, don't go back to Herod. Go home another way. So they did, and Herod figured out eventually that they weren't coming back. And so he knew from the Hebrew Scriptures that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so he sent his armies to Bethlehem to kill all the little boys two years old and under, figuring he'd just wipe them all out. That way he'll get rid of this, this little king that had been born. Well, of course, God had warned Mary and Joseph to take Jesus down to Egypt until Herod had died. And so... We know, of course, Jesus was not one of the children that was killed. That's the narrow interpretation. I agree with that. But there is a much broader interpretation than just what Herod tried to do. In fact, when we understand this broader interpretation, I'll tell you what, uh, it sheds a whole new light on anti-Semitism. A whole new light on anti-Semitism. Listen. If the promise of God's redemption depended on the existence and the perpetuation of a nation, if Satan could destroy that nation, he could defeat the plans of God, he could keep God from offering mankind redemption, right? I mean, if it all depended on a nation, if the devil could destroy that nation, he could keep all of us from being redeemed. Now, when you understand that, the whole Bible takes on new insight. Anti-Semitism, as I've said before, is a demonic thing. It's a demonic thing. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. All the way back to the Garden of Eden is where it started. Long before Israel was a nation, but God gave to Eve a promise. In Genesis 3.15, Now Adam and Eve have blown it. They have eaten the forbidden fruit. and Now God is pronouncing the curse. And I will put enmity, he said, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He's talking to the serpent. He's talking to the devil. He's going to put enmity between the woman and himself. Eve was the beginning of Israel in a sense. You trace Israel all the way back to Eve because God gave to Eve a promise that through her Messiah would come. Well then through her descendants of course eventually Israel, the nation came about and of course Messiah would come to the nation. But this conflict goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God says I'm going to put enmity between you Satan and the woman. Not just Eve but of course Israel who became the woman of chapter 12. And between your seed, who's that? The Antichrist. And her seed, Jesus Christ. But Folks, if you're a first-semester biology student, you realize that that is scientifically inaccurate. The woman doesn't have the seed. The woman has the egg. It's the man that provides the seed for fertilization. So the idea that through the seed of the woman, Messiah would come, that's our first glimpse at the virgin birth. First glimpse at the virgin birth, all the way back in Genesis three fifteen. But God is promising that someday... He would send a Messiah, a Savior, who would crush the serpent's head, who would destroy his authority and judge him. Now, if you're the devil, you know, standing there, and of course, before the curse, serpents seem to have had arms and legs because part of the curse upon the serpent was it was going to crawl in his belly the rest of his life. So if you're a serpent back in the Garden of Eden, you're standing there, you know, the devil listening to this, and the devil's thinking, man, I don't want anybody crushing my head. Uh, that isn't like something I'm, you know, looking forward to having happen. So what he decided to do was to launch a preemptive attack. See, if he could destroy this coming one, then of course this coming one could never crush his head. So Satan launched a preemptive attack against the purposes of God by attacking the messianic line, really. Now, when Abel and Cain were born, the devil figured out it was through Abel that was the Messiah. So Abel was born. The devil is thinking, well, he's promised Eve through her seed, you know, a son would come. Abel has been born. He seems like a pretty righteous young guy. This might be the Messiah. So he works in the heart of Cain who rises up at one point and kills his brother, right? But it wasn't through Abel the Messiah was going to come. It was through who? Seth, another son of, of Adam. When you come to the days of Noah, we we come to some very strange circumstances in Genesis chapter 6. And I'll give you my take on it. It seems as though the devil went through and sowed demon seed into the human race when the sons of God, a reference to angels in the Bible, saw the daughters of men were fair, and they took to themselves wives of all they chose. And they had offspring by these women. And the Bible says these children of, of this demon and human relationship... They were called Nephilim, fallen ones. Satan attempted to contaminate the human race with demon seed so Messiah could not be born. And God kept one family pure, which was Noah and his family, and wipes out the entire world, starts fresh. That didn't end the battle. That didn't end the attack, right? We see later on how that Esau tried to kill Jacob. Jacob was of the messianic line. We come a little while after that and we find out how that Pharaoh tried to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, right? And Moses was born and he was hidden by his parents in a little ark, a basket, uh, sailed down the Nile and was found by Pharaoh's own daughter and raised in Pharaoh's household. You know how God has a way of turning the tables on you? But Moses was spared. Later on, we find out that David was the one whose family would bear the Messiah. And so the devil moves in the heart of Saul to try to kill David for 10 years. David was on the run for his life. A couple of times Saul got very close to killing him, but God protected him. We come later on to how one of the kings of of Judah died and his mother, Queen Athaliah, rose up, seized the throne, and killed all of her grandsons. The entire royal line, the entire messianic line wiped out, but one of the sisters takes the final son, a baby, Joash, and hides him. The messianic line is down to one person, and yet God spared that one, and we're off and running again, you know. We come to the time of Queen Esther, how that Haman got the king to sign a decree that on a certain day, All the Jews throughout the kingdom will be put to death. God turns the table on Haman. He winds up hanging on his own gallows, right? And we come to Herod the Great. How did he try to exterminate all the little Jewish uh, boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under? See, the devil throughout history has done his best to destroy the Jews, and in particular, the messianic line so that Messiah could not have been born. If he could accomplish his purposes and keep Messiah from being born, then Messiah, of course, couldn't crush his head and couldn't use, take over his authority any, you know, from it. So this was a a battle that has been going on for a long time. And as the Lord made his plan of redemption more and more specific, you know, as prophecy after prophecy came of Messiah's birth, first of all, what nation he would be born into, which was Israel. Then what tribe, the tribe of Judah. And then which family, the family of David. As God made it more and more clear where the Messiah was going to be born, Satan focused his attack on that nation, on that tribe, on that family to try to keep Messiah from being born. Now you say, well, okay, but Messiah has been born. Jesus has come and died. Why is Satan continuing to persecute the Jews? And especially when the Antichrist rises to power, are we going to see the greatest time of persecution in the history of, of Israel? Because Satan still hates the Jews. He can't keep Messiah from being born anymore. But he can sure try to wipe out as many as he can of the chosen people that God loves so much that we're the instrument of Messiah's birth. So there is an invisible war going on. It has been going on since the Garden of Eden to this present time. And when you really interpret world events with this in your mind, it really sheds light on what's going on in the world. It really does. Well, verse 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, I think most commentators see in this a reference to the ascension. After Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 more days on the earth uh, teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And then it says in chapter 1 of Acts, verse 9, as he led them as far as uh, Bethany, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven he as he went up behold two men stood with them in white apparel who said who also said men of Galilee why do you stand gazing up into heaven this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you see as you saw him go into heaven let me just stop for a minute i just love the way the holy spirit knows what's coming in the way of false teaching and plans for it and places in the Word things that you might overlook. You know, when we talk about Christ coming again, the New Age says, oh yeah, we have believed in many incarnations of the, of the Christ Spirit. But when Jesus ascended back into heaven, what did the two men say to him? This same Christ? Or this same what? Jesus. See? The Holy Spirit is trying to tell us here: No, this is not New Age stuff. This is not the reincarnation of the Christ Spirit, you know, that was in Buddha and and others, and Christ, who was the Messiah of this present age, the age of um, of the Piscean age, you know. But there's a new Messiah, a new reincarnation of the Christ Spirit that's coming for the New Age, the age of Aquarius, and so on. No, this saved Jesus is coming again, the one that died on the cross. And when he ascended back into heaven, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus Christ ascended back to his father, sat down at the father's right hand. They had a conversation. You can read about it in Psalm 2, The father said, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And uh, the father promised the son, you sit down for a time till I make your enemies your footstool. And then you're going to go back and you're going to take control of that world. And you're going to bring about a kingdom of righteousness. And all who have followed you are going to be members of that kingdom. Awesome. Well, verse six, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed, uh, where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Uh, Israel has not fled into the wilderness yet, and they won't until the midpoint of the seven years. Uh, and we'll study this more uh, next time, but um, you remember how that when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and sets up his image in the holy of holies and demands to be worshipped as God that's when they're to flee because Jesus said at that time great tribulation will arise unlike anything you have ever seen talking to the Jewish people. A time so horrific that two-thirds of the entire Jewish population of the earth is going to be wiped out about 10 million or so. It's hard for us to imagine. They are to flee though. Flee the ones in Jerusalem who are watching this no doubt on television the Antichrist sets up his image in the Holy of Holies. Jesus said, "When you see that, don't even go back into your house houses to get your clothes. Go right out to the wilderness, and flee there. You're going to stay in a place prepared for you by God. One thousand two hundred sixty days, or biblically, that's three and a half biblical years. Uh, a biblical year is is um, thirty day months times twelve, and so um, th- three and a half of those would equal twelve hundred sixty days. Uh, they will not all of them, no doubt, will make it down there." Not all of them will try to make it down there. I'm assuming that the ones who are taking seriously the word of God, not the ones we consider as the secular Jews, but the ones who, and maybe they're the ones who have been converted by this time. But a large number are going to take refuge down in the wilderness. And you say, well, where in the wilderness. Well, you know what? We don't even have to guess about this. The Bible tells us. Turn to Daniel chapter 11 show you a couple of scriptures I think are very uh, interesting and in, in Daniel chapter 11 Daniel's a great parallel text to uh, to read as you're reading the book of Revelation especially as we move into the second half of the seven years because Daniel gives us some real detail that revelation doesn't about this period and about the Antichrist but Daniel 11 starting in verse 40, This is talking about the time when the Antichrist begins to show his true colors and becomes a worldwide dictator and murderer. And not everybody in the world is going to follow him, by the way. It's going to create some conflict.
0: You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day.